Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 22. That's Exodus chapter, chapter 1, verse 8 through 22. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread ab abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and bricks and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt, with, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because, of the because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about God cutting off the things that were unnecessary. God cutting off the things that were unnecessary and us seeing that there is an important part to every single part of the word. Uh, normally people wouldn't maybe put a sermon out of Exodus chapter 1 verse 1 through 7. But we see that this connection, this conjunctive adverb, this connecting passage is so important for us to get. And likewise, the rest of chapter 1 is important to us. It is. It's important to God's people. And it's important to CGS. Um, <clears throat> my grandma had a birthday last week, and I went to um, the lunch that we had for her. She's old. She's just a few years younger than me. I think she's 86 or 80, 86, right? And so she, we had this lunch, and I was able to make it because I had a window of a few hours, so I went to Queensland and I came back for a memorial service I did after. But when I went there, my aunt, my aunt called me over and she said, Eugene, come over here. And I said, hey, auntie, how's it going? She's like, I heard about what happened to your building. And in my head, I'm just like, you're four months late, <laughs> auntie. And, no, no, I actually didn't say that. I said, how'd you know? That's the first thing I asked because when we go to family gatherings, I don't, you know, I don't go, oh, guess what happened, you know. Um, but my auntie's like, I heard you lost the building. How could they do that? And then she asked me a very interesting question, which was rhetorical. She said, are they even Christian? And then so I responded, oh, auntie, don't say that. 
And then in my head, I'm just like, wow, this was an interesting conversation. Um, and I went back and ate my karbi because I, had, I was on a schedule, so it's like karbi time. Uh, but throughout the, in the, during the week, I saw an old pastor friend of mine who worked at Pilgrim, and he went to Toronto to be a pastor there. So he had, I think he, he was flying by Jersey. I didn't get to meet him. But we served together, I think, pretty much, <coughs> excuse me, nine years in Pilgrim Church. And he came a little bit after I did, um, but before he was like the sound guy, and uh, before he became a pastor. And then he came by, he drove by the old building, and he was kind of surprised. So he took some pictures. I haven't driven by the old building in a while. And when, when he took the pictures he put up on his Facebook, he wrote, he wrote in Korean, he wrote hashtag, like, tears are coming out, right? And so I'm looking at these pictures, and I'm really surprised. I'm really surprised. And I thought I was over it, uh, but I guess not. <laughs> I looked at these pictures, and I started to kind of weep too. And, you know, granted, you know, these are all superficial outside building stuff, but the building that we were once in, they took down the Pilgrim Church letters, they took down the cross, which, you know, if another person comes in, would do. And then the back entrance where the parking lot was, they painted it orange. And they put up banners in the lampposts uh, of, the, of the church that's moving in. And that just really made me sad. Um, it made me angry, it made me sad. And all these things started to come up. And then I thought to myself, I thought I was over it. Uh, maybe not. Maybe there's more praying I need to do. And I wanted to share this with you because sometimes what we try to do, not just as, not just as Korean, some of us are Korean-American, some of us are Korean-Korean, but not just that. It's just as people. As people, just want to sweep it under the rug, move on, get over it. But mm, the Bible actually doesn't do that either, and we'll get into that in a bit. The Bible doesn't do that either. And all I was really preparing this uh, this message, this really did hit me hard. And I wanted to give you a little history about what happened. Granted, I'm not gonna give you all I'm gonna I'm not gonna give you an overly politicized view of it. You can get that from anybody in Pilgrim or the Presbytery, just talk to them. They'll give you the 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 overly political view, but I'm not gonna say it's a nonpartisan view either. It's a non-political view because that's impossible. That's just dumb if I say that. That's like saying it's fair and balanced. <coughs> Excuse me. Um but it's just not. Um, and so I don't think the Bible shies away from politics either. It's just not overly political, meaning that's not how it sees the world. It's just a way. There's a political way to look at things, but it's not the way. And we, we'll see here that when God does it, he actually uses everybody. If you're overly political, he even uses that for his glory. You can't stop him. You just can't. He will have his way. And we're going to see that in a bit. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a timeline because I've never done that for our church. I want to do it officially uh, so that you, we all understand this, these are the things that happened. Uh, the PCUSA has slowly been changing its bylaws and its internal, you know, book of order. Um, you know, most recently, they, they have been, I don't want to say losing, it's really hemorrhaging. They've been losing active members more than any other mainline, so they fear, like, the Episcopals were really bad at 3%, but PCUSA has been going down, like, 5 to 6% every year. 90,000 
to like a hundred thousand at times and um uh right and so th there is this great um alertness uh, i think within the pcusa um, that being said all these other denominations are getting bigger like EPC or ECO, which our mother church went to, or even the PCA. Uh, my auntie afterwards, while I was leaving, he's like, why don't you just join the PCA? And I say, okay, auntie, I'll talk to you later. Um, but, um, you know, there are other denominations that are growing uh, because of this. Well, while, while this is happening, in 2011, they, uh, the PCUSA changed the Book of Order to say now, that while we'll keep everything the same, the Presbytery ordains pastors, they said, even people with uh, same-sex marriages can be an ordained pastor. Um, this goes against what uh, people that believe the Bible to be inerrant and true and infallible um, would be teaching. This is a sensitive topic because we don't want to judge people, but in fact, we're not the ones judging. It's the Bible that sets the rule, the canon, the... And so we, so we wanted to follow what the Bible says. And this actually is not right. In fact, it's so far from being correct. Um, if anything, they should not be a leader. They should be counseled. They should grow in Christ, not someone that leads. So this was a big, big um, alarming thing that happened. And uh, 2012, they changed it to now, you know, you can, you can even marry people, same-sex marriages. So that was big. So there was a whole now migration out of um, the PCUSA. During this time, uh, in around October 2012, the session of Pilgrim Church voted to call for a congregational vote to leave or seek dismissal from the Eastern Korean Presbytery to ECO. October 2012, and they, they made stuff, and I'm going to really kind of condense it. I'm going to give you a little distilled version, but we could get to the nitty-gritty in person if you'd like to. Uh, the Presbytery would make a PET, a Presbytery Engagement Team, and then um, the Pilgrim would make an SCC, a Special Congregational Committee, and these two committees would meet and they would discuss, they met in October and November of 2013, January, October of 2014, January and April of 2015. So over the next three years, they were meeting at least twice a year. And then Pilgrim even, uh, P, the PET even came to Pilgrim to give presentations to Pilgrim twice in April and once in May. Uh, twice in April, once in May in 2015. Some of you may be aware. And on September of... Uh, uh, September of that year, the PT set November 15th as a congregational meeting to take the vote on whether to leave. September, they set the meeting to take the vote in November. In October, uh, the EKP, or the Eastern Korean Presbytery, which I'll just refer to as the EKP, appointed an administrative commission that would supersede this PET. And this administrative commission, or the AC, claimed that Pilgrim didn't follow this gracious dismissal policy because of a prior resolution that happened in the past, but eventually Pilgrim did withdraw it in February of 2015, but they didn't follow the GDP. So this, right before the vote, they set up an AC to take over and supersede that PET. 
So the, PET, the EKP did not attend. If you took that first vote uh, of November 2015, the EKP did not attend that vote. And uh, the vote was counted by Pilgrim Session, and it was 98% in favor of dismissal. The EKP refused to acknowledge the vote, and after much um, discussions and back and forth, uh, they decided to re-educate. The, the EKP decided to re-educate Pilgrim Church in 2016, and one year later, almost one year later, in October, they administered the vote a second time by the EKP. And you remember showing your ID and checking this. This was by the EKP in October of 2016. This time, the vote was 97% uh, in favor of dismissal. Not that, not that big of a difference. Uh, the EKP actually offered counsel and advice to those that voted nay. 37 people voted nay. Um, and they offered the counsel during these times. And it was, it was sent out. Uh, no one showed up. And, and so this happened. The EKP did not acknowledge the vote still. And so in April 2017, uh, Pilgrim Church filed a complaint against the EKP to the Northeast Synod. The North, Northeast Synod, so there's bodies. There's the General Assembly, the Synod, the Presbytery, and then the local church. So Pilgrim Church went over the Presbytery to the Synod to file a complaint asking them to help. Uh, the complaint was eventually dismissed by the Synod. And the EKP, a few months later, took Pilgrim Church to New Jersey Superior Court. Uh, they filed a complaint against the leaders of Pilgrim Church. And the judge granted the preliminary injunction, thereby ha temporarily handing over all of Pilgrim's assets, including the building, to the EKP. That's, that's my distilled version. There's a longer version, if you want to know. Um, I know that was kind of long, but I thought it was good. We should know where we come from and what happened. This is, I'm just giving you dates of what happened. Um, like I said, and in, when that happened, Pilgrim Church decided to leave the building and leave all its assets behind, not further pursuing any legal action in court. And I'm not talking about there was no chance for them to win or there was a chance to win. That's disputable. Whatever the case is, that's not the point. And I hope you don't see that um, as the point. Pilgrim Church decided to leave it. And we were also people, even though we were independent church for one year, we were, you know, people in that building. So we also left. And this is why we were here for the last four months. Uh, I hope that makes sense. And I hope that you see why I will talk about, why I'm talking about this as we go through the passage. In Exodus chapter 1, starting from verse 8, it says, Now arose a new king over Egypt. A new king came to Egypt who did not know Joseph. And we went to Genesis. Joseph was pretty amazing. To not know Joseph must have been like, there must have been some time that took place or it was a coup, and someone else came into power that wasn't the, any, any, with any relation to the Pharaoh, but we don't know for sure. And so someone rose to power, became Pharaoh, didn't know Joseph, and this is what he said. He said to his people, Behold, there are so many Israelites. They're too mighty for us. 
we should deal shrewdly with them. And if they continue to multiply and war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies and take over our land. Egypt at the time was a powerhouse, a powerful nation. They were a dynasty. And in fact, Egypt back in the back during ancient time was was known to the name was black black land and i know what you're thinking it's like is it racial it's not racial it was black because the soil was so fertile the nile would come through and the land would be for everywhere else around africa it would be dry and even even up north where the canaanites lived it was just one tiny river but otherwise it would be dry too so the Nile was rich with life. And so they were known as this black land. That's why we say Black Friday. It means it's good. It's positive. It's uh, profitable. And so they were afraid they might lose this land. So they started a political campaign. And they called it Mega, Make Egypt Great Again. And after they started this compa- campaign, I kid you not, uh, but... Um, they started this campaign called Mega, and what they did was there are too many of these, um, sorry, of these uh, Israelites, and they set taskmasters to over, over them, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They even built store cities. That means we're going to make you slaves. We're going to get taskmasters over you, people who will subject you to overt oppression, violent oppression and i'm going to make cities to house you and all the work that you do you're going to put this stuff in one city wasn't enough they needed two and they called them pithom and ramses so what they had were labor camps they had labor camps and they put the israelites in them now this is incredible because you don't just start by going, I'm going to kill you, take all your family. It doesn't start out like that. It never starts out like that. Even back in ancient times, it starts out by things like, let's boycott Jewish stores. They're taking over our country. Let's make sure these immigrants stop coming into our country and we keep our country pure from this immigrant stain. They literally did that in Germany. You thought I was talking about another country. But they literally did that in Germany. And people would stand outside Jewish stores and we're like, we're not going to buy from you. We're going to protest anybody that goes into your stores. And we're going to make sure that you stop taking good German people's money. It starts out like that. It never starts out like we're going to kill you, take all your family, boom, you're dead. I'm going to take all your stuff. It starts out small. Like, look at these guys. It's political. But you got to read in between the lines. There are too many of them. Eventually, we're going to have these people cooking every dish in the world in all our restaurants. we got to get them out. Look at these guys. They're Israelites, and they're, they're like cutting sushi. How is that possible? Got to get them out. And if war breaks out, they're going to join the other side, and we're going to be no more our dynasty will end so he says that and people are like yeah yeah i agree and then the slavery begins but in verse 12 i want us to not forget this the more they were oppressed 
the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. You really want to know how to stop God? (laughs) Why don't you politically oppress them and then physically oppress them? I have actually literally heard that some people want to punch some people on the other side of this whole church argument. If If I could just grab him, I would punch him, smack him right in the back of the head. And I would be like, whoa, you know that's a pastor you're talking about. Like, yeah. But it starts out with small talk. It starts out with just saying things like, yeah, these are bad, evil things that they're doing. And what happened was the opposite happened. They thought they could contain God's people. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread apart. And this is what happened was like so confusing. I thought that if I do this, if I subject them to violent, horrific oppression, that they would just die. But in fact, it was not the case. And in the end of verse 12, it says the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Israel, Dread like, oh my God, what is happening? I hate them so much. What can I do? And you start becoming hysterical. What can I do? So this is what they did. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service, mortar brick, all kinds of work in the field. Again, the author uses the word ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This idea of ruthlessly, now you see this violence can only increase. You can't go back. Once you start oppression, you can't go back, and it has to magnify. You don't go the other way. You're like, you know what? I kind of said bad things about this group of people. I kind of did, this, did these things. It's not really working. Let's go back. It doesn't work like that. Without God, you can only go the other way. And the only other way is you make it worse. You become more and more ruthless in your dealings. And then verse 15 happens. The king of Egypt goes to the Hebrew midwives. If you don't know what a midwife is, it's because a lot of us now, if we're pregnant and we go through um, the birthing stage, we usually have an OB or OBGYN, and this doctor is the one that helps you through the process. There are still midwives today, midwife nurses, midwives, just midwives, and they were more like, you know, I'm there for you throughout the whole process, and they walk you through emotionally and physically. So, Midwives back then were also probably something similar, except they probably played even a bigger doctoral role, um, a medical role in that. And so he goes to the midwives, and the, the names are out there too. So forever in history, we know who these people are, and they will be remembered by the Hebrew people. Is Sifra and Pua. And then when he goes to them, when you serve as a midwife for these Hebrew women, If you see it's a son, kill him. If you see it's a daughter, let her live. This is going in the more ruthless direction. Why not daughters? Well, people didn't even see women as anything better than cattle back then. And so they were no threat. So even these midwives, they're women. What could they possibly do? I'm just going to give them an order. And so if you have a daughter, you know what? I could use them as slaves. They're just currency. 
So he saw them as currency that he could sell as slaves or sex slaves or whatever he wanted to do with them. So if it's a daughter, that's fine. But if it's a son, you kill him. But in verse 17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Now, what happens here is you go from labor camps to genocide. You see this drastic evolution take place, but it seems so slow. You don't know. In the beginning, you're just like, that's not bad. That's not bad. And then eventually you see this taking place. More and more drastic measures are taken. Eventually, they want your life. If it's a son, you shall kill him. This is horror to the maximum degree that is taking place now in Egypt. You know, I really like it that we have children come up here. (laughs) It's such a blessing. And when we do a little children's sermon, all these kids come, they're all running around. Pastor Paul leads it, and I love him for it. When I lead it, uh, I wouldn't be able to handle that, so that's, that's because I don't have the patience he does, and so I would make sure they wouldn't move probably. But, you know, there's just this, just, this is joy that we have. But imagine you are in a country and you have no right over your own child. In fact, if you had a son, then anybody could come by, rip that son out of your hands, and just kill him in front of you. Imagine you lived in that kind of place, and that's the horror that they lived in. Because they could not see what God was doing, and they feared for their own dynasty, and their own name. And that's what they lived doing, living. And you might think, I can't believe people would do that. I can't believe people would just let this go. That's impossible. And I'm telling you, history shows us, no, you're wrong. It's very possible. In fact, it just happens and it's still happening today. People are dying. Millions of people are dying in Africa and Rwanda. Are we saying anything? Millions of people were getting gassed to death like a few decades ago. Did anybody say anything then? How can this be? How can we be blind to so much torment and horror in the world? I'll tell you how. It starts slowly and you start compromising. You go, that's not that bad. Yeah, they're, you know, the Egyptians are kind of right for doing it. It is their country after all. And it starts out like that. But it goes to this end. And we have to also be careful that we don't let this or any bitter feeling or any kind of hatred develop into that because it'll lead to this end as well. You know, after there's a lot of politics in the air and our young people are very aware and it's great that they're marching and things like that, but from the marches, we see even another side come out, another extreme. You know, if you're going to try to oppress us, I'm going to go the other way. And we have groups like the Antifa and things like that. They call themselves the anti-fascists, but they will use force or deadly force to stop those that are trying to oppress. And so I can't help but to wonder if the shoes are switched and you are now in the power, what are you liable of doing? 
And Martin Luther King Jr., he knew this. And when he took people out to march, he said, what we're going to do is a nonviolent protest. And I get it. There, he's not a perfect man, but uh, I'm, we're not focusing on whether he was perfect in this area. I'm just saying this is what he did. And um, he would take people, walk in the streets, and they would have cameras, TVs following them, and they were sick dogs at the protesters. They would turn on the hoses at the protesters, and the protesters just took it. And if you've ever seen someone get hosed down, the dignity that they lose as people, because you're not, you're not human then. You're not good enough, so I can't hose you. I could force you with all that I have to make you as little as possible, and I could do that to you. And when people saw that, they were like, there's something wrong about this. This is not right. And people were outraged. And he was able to take that to show them, look, we're human. We are human. We deserve human dignity. You can't do this to us. And this is what's going on even in the world today. We're fighting the same battle. This isn't new. This has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And people have been falling for it over and over again. Watch out. The small things that you think are not that bad, those small things of bitterness or hatred, that seed is going to grow. And soon it will be unstoppable. You don't think you could turn back. How can millions and millions of people watch an extermination of another people? It happened. And it's happening. So when this happened, we have two people that we know that stood up against it. Two people for the whole nation. (laughs) People that they didn't even consider are people. You know, cattle, women, eh. That's how they were viewed. And they didn't follow the king's orders. They let the male children live as long as they could. And mind you, they could have been killed just like that. It would have been nothing. When Egypt, the king of Egypt called them, he's like, why have you done this? And let the male children live. They said something. The Hebrew women are not like us. They're different from us. And at this point, because of this political agenda that they had and the constant brainwashing that he probably did he probably believed a little bit of it you and i we are different the israelites and the egyptians we're different physically yeah so because of that he probably believed them they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them so before we could get there they already have their child what do you want me to do and so in verse 20 it says god dealt well with the midwives, and they multiplied and grew very strong. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, that's it. We're going to have outright genocide. Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. What he tried to do in secret wouldn't work, so it has to start coming out, and now it's public. We're going to put this out there and I'm going to say every single male child, you're going to kill. They're going to die. 
Uh, we have been going through certain things, and I really think when God gives us a word, it really is for us as a people and a nation. And I don't want us to just think this, this word is meant for CGS. I want us to think this word is meant for the people of God. We are there with them. We are Abraham's descendants. We have his inheritance. That covenant, that promise is also given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that. And I want us to know that we have not been alone. We have not been alone. Uh, We literally can sit here and give worship freely. Because even though we we lost the building, we left the building... Uh, someone else took us in. We're literally that testimony. Someone else took us in. Eastern Christian High School and Middle School took us in, and they are acting like the midwives are for us. And we weren't left out to dry or die or anything like that because we didn't have money to support even rent at the time. And we're here, and we're strong, and we're thriving. God used the midwives to bless Israel. God sends his angels to help his people. Even though at the time, the midwives could have been killed at any time. Midwives could have been killed at any time. But there was someone that came, even though the people were viciously, violently oppressed, There was nothing they could do to get out of this oppression. Nothing. No power in the world could have saved them, helped them intercede. People were oppressed by sin. And so God sends his only son, and his son takes the entire burden. But this time he's not just spared, but he's killed. And he dies for us and our sin. We were being violently oppressed by sin. There was nothing that we could have done. Nothing that we could have done. No power on earth could have saved us. But we were saved because there was a greater midwife, someone who came in humble stature to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, born in a manger, not a throne, not a palace, took the sins of the world, and was crucified, a death that people didn't even say. You wouldn't, in in the culture back then, you wouldn't even say the word crucified because that word was so dirty. You wouldn't use it to be like, watch your mouth, young man. That's what would happen if you said, oh, I heard that person was crucified. They go, watch your mouth. We don't use that word in this family. That's a dirty word. Romans didn't even use that word. And Romans did not get crucified. Other dirty people did. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of heaven, when he spoke, things happened. All of creation was created because he was the word. He's the one that took it and he died for us so that we could live. And we're here because he is the greater midwife to us, more than anyone could have ever been. And we're here because he is saying, I can make you strong. And I can make you multiply. I can make you fruitful. No matter what happens. Because I have conquered the world. 
And this is what we believe as Christians, that no matter what happens, no matter if we have a right understanding or wrong understanding about certain things in our political realm, whatever that is, that's not the point. The point is now we follow God. We will follow him. When he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily, follow me, we go, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because that's the full life. That's the life I've been waiting to live. That's finally the life that I was meant to live, to follow Christ. We're going to see here that no matter what Pharaoh does to the people of Israel, it only perpetuates and propagates and makes God's plan better. Even if you try to stop them, it seems like he's only propelling the people to go out. When we have God on our side, no matter what the circumstances are on the outside, no matter how many people will say negative things to us, whether it's personally or corporately or even universally, we see that everything is used by God to build his church. And that's who we are. And that's why Paul says, we're more than conquerors. What can stop us? Can angels, demons, heavenly powers, or earthly powers, can it stop us from the love of God? No, because Jesus has sealed it for us, and we are in his hands, and no one can pry us out of God's hands. And that's where we are. And if we're going to have confidence in anything, let's have confidence in that. You have been sealed by God as his child and no one can take that away. No circumstance can break that. And now we are here as a testimony of what God has done. So what now, my friends, my brothers and sisters, what now? What now is we become midwives to other people. There are other people in need in this world. We stand up for them. We share the love of Christ that's been given to us. We can love because he loved us. And it's not for some agenda. And I was telling the college students this past weekend, we don't want you because eventually we'll invest in you and you'll be a paying customer or a member. That's not what it is. In fact, I would argue with those leaders that if we put the numbers down, we lose more. You know? But that's not why we do it. We do it because we have been given this incredible love that we are compelled to love others. This overflowing of love that's been given to us by Christ. How can we just keep it in? You have to share it. It's an amazing love. And that's what we've been given. And I pray that God will use us as midwives too to help people that are in need, to look out for our coworkers, other families, our neighbors, so that we can be as Jesus was to us, the ultimate midwife. Let's pray. <laughs>